Welcome to We Are the Guard, the Arkansas National Guard's podcast. I'm your host, Lieutenant Colonel Brian Mason, the State Public Affairs Officer. In the military, leaders ascend to leadership positions based on their potential for success with greater responsibility. And if you follow some of our social media features and certainly listen to some of our previous podcasts highlighting commanders, you've met a few of our best. We've only begun to scratch the surface and our bench is pretty deep. And today we're speaking with Colonel Jonathan Stubbs, commander of the 39th Infantry Brigade Combat Team, the Arkansas National Guard's largest Army unit. Colonel Stubbs, welcome to the show. Thank you. Great to be here, Brian. Sir, you've been in command a little over a year now, and it just so happened to be uh, arguably one of the most difficult times throughout my career with the pandemic. Can you talk about the challenges you've faced and may still be facing with all the state active duty missions over the past year, you know, when trying to keep the force protected from the virus and the current challenges that uh, you're working through? Sure. So I took command in uh, December of 2019, and as we all well know in March of 2020 is essentially when uh, uh, the pandemic took hold here in Arkansas and we essentially had to really curtail operations, um, essentially shut down collective training. So that that took place uh, in March, April of that year and we went to a a virtual drill um, construct or modality in terms of how we delivered uh, training and, and services to our soldiers. And then simultaneous to that, or near simultaneous to that, uh, we, we had several state active duty taskers um, in the early uh, summer, uh, a civil disturbance tasker for, for about a battalion minus, uh, running concurrently with, with some COVID response requirements. Um, certainly a challenge uh, for the brigade, just navigating all that, maintaining contact with our soldiers, uh, leaders staying in touch uh, with their soldiers at every echelon, from from the fire team all the way up to the battalion commander, maintaining contact and applying leadership. As it relates to training, uh, like I alluded to, we we essentially had to stop there for a couple months, uh, reevaluate while we went to that uh, virtual type construct um, as things shut down across the state. Uh, our XCTC rotation, the Exportable Combat Training Center rotation that was scheduled uh, for midsummer around the July timeframe of last year, it was canceled because of COVID. And that was going to be a foundational event in terms of just preparing preparing the uh, brigade to go to JRTC this coming summer. So we weren't able to do that. And that, that was going to be focused on platoon, platoon level readiness uh, and the like. So we, we had to shut that down uh, and, and we had to conduct – uh, really what amounted to a, um, a three-week home station AT where we would bring small elements into armories at a time, anywhere from a squad to a platoon size element, and conduct uh, training in the local area or in the armory, r- really focused on small unit uh, collective tasks and individual tasks. So uh, we we've really fell behind uh, with our collective training gates and uh, a significant challenge for us that uh, – you know, we had to take all of this year to overcome. So we we came out of the summer uh, last September of 2020 with about uh, 22 days of training uh, before we roll into JRTC this coming summer, just 22 days to train. Uh, and of that 22, only 12 really are, are what you could consider uh, collective training days where we can assemble platoons and companies and battalions together uh, in a field environment and get after collective tactical tasks that will actually execute at JRTC. So um, anywhere from the pandemic to uh, 
state active duties, civil uh, disturbance response, COVID response and support, and then just the uh, extreme challenges with training. And then obviously winter weather, uh, the, you know, the significant winter storm we had. We had a leader training program uh, event, a big staff training event down at JRTC that we had to initially, uh, initially uh, or eventually, excuse me, go from a, a seven-day in-house model down there at Fort Polk, Louisiana. Because of the blizzard, we had to curtail that and just do a two-and-a-half-day virtual uh, uh, model. So we've we've had a lot of uh, roadblocks and, and challenges uh, pop up in front of us over the last year, year and a half. Uh, but with that comes great opportunity, uh, great opportunity to be flexible, uh, to uh, improvise, adapt, and overcome. So in the big concept of training, you know, we talk about crawl, walk, run. You want to show up to a CTC like JRTC or NTC in the run phase. Are you there? Well, we're probably jogging. How about we'll call it jogging? So in, instead of crawling into JRTC, uh, which was originally kind of our concern, especially with XCTC being canceled uh, and really not necessarily crawling, but limping, <laughs> we, we've overcome and we have overcome a lot of those challenges. And I, I would say we're not a full up uh, run, but we're, we're certainly jogging. We've got a lot of positive momentum built up, and and um, I think it's going to translate well to JRTC. And JRTC, you know, they've had to adapt too. Uh, Force Com, Forces Command, they've had to adapt their combat training centers, whether it be the CTC at Fort Irwin or the JRTC at, at Fort Polk, they've had to adapt. So they're going to meet us where we are. Um, they're going to modify that, that training environment a little bit, and they understand that, that we've had significant challenges. And we have we have challenges with time. I mean, there's only so much time available for a reserve component uh, infantry brigade to train. We just don't have access to our soldiers 24-7, and we don't have an unlimited uh, number of training days. We, Like I said, 22 from last September to to when we report to JRTC, with only 12 of those being, no kidding, collective training days that that prepare you for large-scale combat operations in a decisive action training environment. Sir, it seemed to me like when we were, uh, you know, coming out of uh, the war in Iraq, uh, we, we were very proficient at certain types of warfare, and maybe we'd lost our ability to shoot, move, and communicate on that, you know, peer-to-peer or near-peer level fight. Uh, is Are we ready for uh, this type of uh, engagement? Well, I, if you ask me today, is the 39th Infantry Brigade ready to go conduct large-scale combat operations against a near-peer adversary uh, time now? Uh, we're working towards that, and that's what JRTC is is, is all about. So it, it's going to replicate that environment. Um, it's going to replicate it uh, with regards to the enemy threat in terms of their composition and their, their strengths, their capabilities. Uh, and it's going to give us an opportunity to exercise uh, our systems within all of our warfighting functions from, from fires to communications to movement maneuver, uh, how we sustain ourselves, uh, and then how we conduct command and control uh, uh, through the principles of mission command uh, across uh, the, the formation. So, you know, what, what I would tell you is that when we come out of JRTC, and we're also going to have an opportunity uh, to conduct uh, company-level combined arms live fire exercises where our company commanders are going to take their infantry companies 
uh, with field artillery, with mortars, with attack aviation in the form of Apaches, uh, with mounted heavy weapons platforms such as our 50 cal uh, crow systems, javelins, tow ITAS, and they're going to be able to apply live fire effects there at JRTC. So we're going to be able to uh, culminate our exercise uh, with, with that event. So we go through all that force on force in the decisive action training environment against a, a near peer replicated threat. Um, large-scale combat operations. We culminate the exercise with company combined arms live fire exercises, a 14-day immersive training model. We come out of that, I'd say, yeah, we would probably be a lot more prepared than we are today, um, and, but but we would have we will have set the conditions uh, for us to be um, a unit that it, that is ready should the nation need us. No question. Sir, let's do a quick career rewind tell us how you got started and if your family had any influence or impact on your decision to put the uniform oh yeah absolutely so um the the first pair of combat boots i ever put on my feet were my dad's so uh, my dad was an army guardsman he was a, a chaplain in the 149th armor battalion um in paducah kentucky so my earliest memories of a child and uh, and I still have a picture that I carry with me on my phone just to remind me not only of my dad, but just to where I come from is from 1977 when I was five years old. And uh, it's a picture of my dad and I, my dad in his uniform, uh, wearing the old OD greens. Um, and I've got his protective mask around my shoulder, you know, and I, I've got my arm around him and uh, we're fixing to send him off to annual training. So that summer. So I, you know, I've got early, early memories of crawling around in my dad's Jeep, uh, visiting his unit and, and visiting uh, with his soldiers when I was a young child, just enamored with uh, all things Army. And, uh, you know, my dad really planted that seed for me in terms of service and just fascination uh, with the military uh, itself. So, you know, that really, um, so I was a senior in college, uh, actually, when I decided to, to take the leap. I, I knew eventually I, I wanted to do it, but uh, my senior year of college, I, I joined and um, I went uh, t to basic training, one station unit training at uh, Sand Hill, Fort Benning, Georgia, and uh, as a private first class, and, and uh, then went right into the OCS program after earning my blue cord down there. And uh, went to the Tennessee Military Academy, Class 38, Officer Candidate School. Graduated in 1995 as a second lieutenant. Um, at that point in time, though, Tennessee was reorganizing. So um, the infantry battalion that I was going to was going to reflag as an artillery battalion. I knew I wanted to stay an infantry officer because uh, yeah, that's just what I wanted to do. So I, I started calling around, and, and uh, one of the first units I got in contact with was 2nd of the 153 Infantry, and the AO just happened to be a uh, Captain Promotable Kendall Penn. Um, so he called me in for an interview, and uh, when I was uh, an officer candidate, and, and um, we maintained contact, and when I graduated, I, I gave him a call back, and, and he has said they assessed me into the uh, Arkansas Army National Guard. My wife is from Arkansas, so we just kind of made the move back home, did the interstate transfer, and uh, officially assessed in the Arkansas Army National Guard in 1990, uh, late 1995, and went to the basic course. And then my first AT was at JRTC in 1996. So that was 25 years ago. So it's, it's kind of cool for me that uh, 
I'm going to uh, essentially come full circle, having started off as an infantry platoon leader in 1996 at the JRTC, and now I get to go back as a brigade commander 25 years later and do JRTC again. Um, so, and in between that time, from 1996 to uh, to now, you know, a couple deployments, uh, company commander of uh, Charlie Company Three, the 153, which was combination of Alpha 2nd and Charlie 2nd, the 153 Infantry, and, and then that was in 0405, and in 2008, I, I went back as the Brigade S3 when we did uh, OIF-8, um, and then I, I commanded the battalion, took a battalion to the NTC, uh, the Gunslinger Battalion 2nd, the 153. Uh, those are my operational assignments, and then with my full-time assignments, I just run in the gamut as a start off as a battalion training officer, and then you know work my way through uh, uh, developmental assignments and you know my O6 assignments. Where as a, a G3, a human resource officer, and the chief of staff, and and now I'm I'm blessed and fortunate enough to be a um, a full-time brigade commander in the organization of the 39th. Sir, we've talked a little bit about how the 39th getting ready for JRTC. Is there a personal component to that? I mean, how do your soldiers get their minds and their bodies ready for it? But what about the families and employers as well? That's quite a bit of time away from home. It is. So, and that's been, you know, I just, just reading the notes you sent me, there, there's a, a question you asked me in the notes about kind of what, what keeps me up at night. So I'll go ahead and answer that. And it's tied to this question here. It, it's, it's managing, um, the the soldier family employer um, uh, relationship there uh, because you know, what we're asking our soldiers to do is I mean it, it, it's a big ask it's a hefty ask right so this AT period for the average uh, 30 night soldier is going to be a 29 day endeavor now the way I tried to to minimize the impact is I, I committed um, when we started the train up in September, last September of 2020, uh, all the way up through about April of 2021, I committed to just mute four Saturdays and Sundays only, nothing, nothing out of the ordinary there. So just wanted to manage the tempo. And we got after a lot of individual training doing that. I mean, there's only so much you can do in a mute four, but we were able to still accomplish weapons qualification, you know, our health assessments and, and some team, some crew team and squad level training. What I did ask them to do, understanding the uh, the environment of of Fort Polk and JRTC, and then just what the readiness that we needed to recover, I asked them, hey, we, we got to do an eight day FTX that that super muta, the muta sixteen in May. So we did muta four September through April. Uh, then we did an eight day FTX in May, and then what I'm going to do, what we are doing, is we're essentially going to take a knee, take a little bit of a break between. Um, the culmination of that FTX uh, all the way to JRTC, which will start in earnest uh, after the 4th of July weekend. So just just trying to moderate the tempo um, a, a little bit. And yes, I'm asking families to uh, sacrifice their soldiers for 29 days in terms of being away. I'm asking employers to um, you know, sacrifice their employees and, and be without uh, their employees. And we, we have a very diverse uh, and pretty extraordinary um, array of, of civilians, uh, citizen soldiers in our organization. I mean, teachers, law enforcement professionals, I mean, you name it, healthcare. I mean, we just run the gamut uh, in terms of soldiers within our ranks and what they do, small business owners, um, farmers. I mean, you name it, they're out there. 
So sticking with the theme of investment, sir, what would you say the return on this investment is for the individual or for the employer or for the family? Well, I can tell you for the individual soldier, it's going to be the best training. Um, and they're going to find out a lot about themselves, too. I mean, so one, they'll have access to great training. Two, they're going to be able to, to push themselves, find out what they can do. Uh, and come out of this, you know, if, if they're resilient and they stand up to the challenge that they're going to face, because every soldier is going to have their own individual challenge that they're going to have to overcome through this thing. There's nothing about JRTC that's easy, but that's what makes it great, right? In terms of they come out of this, they'll be able to look back on the experience uh, with pride, knowing that they made it, that they did it, and uh, they did it uh, as an individual. But more importantly, they, they were a contributing um, member of a team, whether that's their, their fire team or their squad section, their platoon, the company, whatever the case may be. I mean, at echelon or what, at whatever level, uh, from me on down or from the, the, the rifleman on up, uh, we'll all have our individual crucibles that, that uh, we'll overcome, our individual challenges. Uh, and then we're, we'll have the pride in knowing that we overcame those challenges. We, we made it through the exercise. We learned a lot. We grew individually and we grew collectively and we just got better. And then ultimately, in terms of return on investment for the taxpayer, I mean, we're going to be a more lethal, capable organization um, uh, for the country. Again, we're talking to Colonel John Stubbs, commander of the 39th Infantry Brigade Combat Team. Sir, your motto of fit to fight and ready to win, it, it really does stick. Uh, kind of like be your best, be a soldier. What inspired those ideas? So, I, you know, I'll start with uh, be your best, be a soldier. So I just happened to be the chief of staff when, when, we, uh, when we rolled that out. And it, it was just an effort to, to rally the, the organization around an, an idea that, one, we wanted to create an organization where everybody that joined uh, could be their best. Um, we wanted to create an environment where every soldier that wears the uniform of a United States Army soldier of an Arkansas Army National Guardsman um, was given the opportunity uh, to realize their full potential, to be their absolute best. Okay, so that's the individual component of it. But we all know uh, being in the Army and being in the Arkansas Guard, it's a team sport, right? So the, the idea is if, if all of us can have that be your best type mindset, um, wanting to be our best every day, understanding that we're going to have days where we fall short because we're human beings. But if we all commit ourselves to that be your best mindset, you just think about uh, the synergy uh, and the energy and, and the momentum that creates collectively as an organization if you have – uh, an organization that is all rowing with a be your best mindset. I mean, there, there's nothing that the organization can't do. So it's kind of a twofold thing. You know, individually, we, we create an environment for every soldier to realize their full potential. Uh, we encourage, um, and, and then we develop programs and, and have a spirit or, or a, a mindset about us. It's all about being the best that we can be. Um, similar to, to what we grew up with, with be all you can be, right? Uh, the old army commercials. And then collectively, if we're all doing that, uh, we're just going to be that much better of an organization. So that, that was the be your best deal. Now, the fit to fight, ready to win. Um, you know, I was uh, at the pre-command course there at Fort Leavenworth, Kansas. And, you know, it's all about having a vision for your command uh, and writing out a vision statement. And, you know, it's, it's, uh, 
the, the challenge was is, is taking all the thoughts and all the things that I wanted to accomplish in command, and you can write out a, a paragraph of, of what you wanted to do and how you wanted to do it and everything else and what you wanted your organization to be. But I wanted it to be succinct, and, and I had that be your best, be a soldier kind of uh, experience, and I, I tried to apply it to the brigade, and I thought, hey, what do we need to be able to do as a brigade? What are we asking of, one, the individual soldier, and collectively, what's the expectation? And and, and it just goes back to that same construct. Individually, we want every soldier to be fit to fight and ready to win. What does fit to fight mean? It's, it's full-spectrum fitness. It's not just a physical fitness. It's a, a mental, emotional, spiritual fitness, being technically and tactically proficient uh, in your warrior task and drills, you, you know, being proficient in your MOS. Um, and if you can be uh, full-spectrum fit, um, you're going to be ready to win. And... You know, in anything I do, you, you got to be nested all the way to the top. And, you know, at the top, the chief of staff of the Army, General McConville, uh, has said it is, you know, winning matters. And, and in the end, um, you know, combat's all about winning or losing. And as, as an American soldier and as a brigade, there is no option other than to win. Um, we cannot lose. So it all builds upon itself individually, fit to fight, so we're ready to win. And then collectively, you know, we as an organization, collectively made up of squads and platoons that are lethal, that can dominate the battlefield, company commanders and, and, and company formations that are competent and confident and, again, lethal and agile, all the way up through battalion and brigade. If we can do all that, be fit to fight, ready to win, um, you know, our, our brigade is going to be ready to go engage in large-scale combat operations and destroy the enemies of our country. That's what it's all about. Let's talk about the ACFT for a minute, sir. You bet. How are we doing? So, one, I think the ACFT is a great thing for the Army. Change is hard. Change is difficult. Um, with change, you know, comes friction. Uh, with, with change might come some skepticism or, or concern. But I, I can tell you the feedback I'm getting from my soldiers, and I, I don't have anything definitive to share with you, but anecdotally and, and just informally, I can tell you that the test is being well-received throughout the 39th Brigade. Now, I've kind of put the test on the back burner because my, my main focus is JRTC, right? i got to get lethal. i, I got to be able to maneuver collectively and, and do all those things that a brigade combat team has to do. I've only got 22 days, 12 days a portion of collective training. So ACFT is really full up impl implementation I'm going to push till after JRTC. I've got till March of 22 to do it, um, and, and we're well on glad path to do it. You want to divulge your score? Give us something to shoot for, sir? Yeah, sure. I mean, no, I, I, I can't remember exactly what it was, but it was probably um, just below a 500 the first time I took it. And I'll tell you, I, you know, and I'm not ashamed to say it, I, it was my first stab at it. You know, my, my goal, I think, going forward when I'm able to take the thing for real again, I, I'm, I'm shooting for about a 525. Uh, five, I mean, ultimately, I, I'd love to land it around a 550. Um, you know, the things I struggle with a little bit were, um, let's see, what were they? Um, it was the, uh, the, the knee tuck, um, 
I wasn't able to max the knee tuck. I, I probably did about 50% of what I was supposed to do. I passed it, uh, obviously, and uh, but not able to really get a lot of reps with a, with a knee tuck. The sprint drag and carry, if you're not training and are conditioned toward, towards that event, uh, you wear out fast, especially in the last couple of shuttles, and, and your legs give out. So um, I was able to get that done under two minutes, but still not, not where I need to be. Uh, and then the deadlift, too. That's, that's something that... Um, uh, I'll, I'll tell you, I, I did 240 pounds, did it three times, and I put the weight down. Uh, but I, I obviously, uh, 340 or so is, is a max, so I've got a way to go to max that event. But uh, um, I'm, I'm definitely, everything I do is, is geared towards getting better with the ACFT ultimately. So i got some work to do, no doubt. Sir, command presence and circulation. It's a thing, and I'm sure it's tough to see all your soldiers. Um, it's a really big unit, and it's spread across the entire state. Your soldiers and many others across force are listening to you now. Is there anything that you'd like to say to them directly? Yeah, so the, the brigade has authorized 4,217 soldiers. I've got, uh, we, we've got five battalions uh, in Arkansas, so first and second of the 153 Infantry, 206 Field Artillery, the 39th BSB, and the 239th BEB. And then, you know, of interest, um, we have the first of 134 CAD, that's a Nebraska unit, Nebraska Army National Guard, and the first of 138 Infantry uh, in Missouri. So, yeah, I mean, it's a large organization, a multi-state, three-state organization. Um, you know, my soldiers, it's just all about gratitude and thanking them and their families and their employers just for their dedicated service you know i'm just so proud and i you, you go out and, and you watch your soldiers train uh, our soldiers train and you just can't help but be moved by you know the, their willingness to do it uh, again i mean these are one percenters i mean these are these are folks that uh had a choice and they chose to serve and it's really neat to see and we saw it at the ftx is that uh, uh you, you you pull these citizen soldiers away from their families, away from their civilian jobs. And after about two to three days of wearing the uniform, being kitted up, carrying a weapon, being camouflaged, and operating in a field tactical environment, I mean, they just embrace it. And they their motivation level is, is through the roof um, and just so very impressed with, with their commitment to, uh, to getting the job done. Uh, to learning, um, to growing individually and, and taking pride. I mean, I've got our soldiers taking pride and not just themselves individually, but in, in their small teams and in their, in their units and their companies and in their battalions. I mean, uh, we've got a lot of pride out there too. But uh, to, to our soldiers and to the families and to our employers, I, I mean, I just can't, I can't thank them enough for what they do. Just so proud that I get to wear the same patch they do. I'm so proud that I get to stand shoulder to shoulder with them. Uh, just so proud that I get to call myself Bowie Six and, and, you know, in my most humble opinion, have the best job in the Arkansas Army National Guard and the best job in the United States Army, and that's leading an infantry brigade combat team. So um, I'm blessed beyond measure and uh, just very humbled that I get to be a part of the team. That was Colonel John Stubbs, sir. Thanks for joining us on We Are The Guard.